Another great episode of Mystery of Parenthood coming up. If you like what you hear, go to redsearadio.org, click on the donate button, and become a monthly sustaining member. Please support us. Thank you, and God bless. All right. Uh, please do slow down. I mean, don't slam your brakes or anything if you're on your way, but you're listening <laughs> somewhere. But you're listening to the uh, Mystery of Parenthood, and uh, uh, really appreciate you being there, and we ask that you would um, take a listen. And so we'll start with a prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Lord God, from you, every family in heaven and on earth takes its name. Father, you are love and life. Through your Son, Jesus Christ, born of woman, and through the Holy Spirit, the fountain of divine charity, grant that every family on earth may become for each successive generation a true shrine of life and love. Grant that your grace may guide the thoughts and actions of husbands and wives for the good of their families and of all the families in the world. Grant that the young may find in the family solid support for their human dignity and for their growth in truth and love. Grant that love, strengthened by the grace of the sacrament of marriage, may prove mightier than all the weaknesses and trials through which our families sometimes pass. Through the intercession of the Holy Family of Nazareth, grant that the Church may fruitfully carry out her worldwide mission in the family and through the family. We ask this of you, who is life, truth, and love, with the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Holy Family of Nazareth, pray for us. St. Michael the Archangel, pray for us. St. John Paul II, pray for us. With the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Dennis is over there producing. He's not going to say a word unless he wants to. Uh, but Thaddeus is here. Um, how are you doing, Thaddeus? I'm dry, Trey. You're dry. It's been a rainy day. Goodness I've gracious. I've been out in some of the rain, but I'm, I'm yeah. here, man. I'm I, pulled, I pulled up out here and and was trying to figure out how to pay the, the thing cause to get closer. And um, anyway, I was by the time I was reaching my pocket from my knee down was completely drenched. So I just went in and said, "I'll go back. <laughs> I'll go back out when it stops raining and pay." I actually just left after that. So thank God I didn't get a ticket. But um, I digress. We're very happy about that. Very yeah. Happy. The rain. The rain is a is a blessing. I don't remember a summer like this. I, I mean, saying. ever. I, I I don't. So but to go back to uh, parking and and walking away without without paying. I mean, did that uh, twinge your conscience having to do <laughs> not, that? Not not really. If I'm so when I was soaking wet, <laughs> I, I didn't know whether be what we're talking about. But 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 as an extension to what the last show was about, which was Stephanie and I were talking about um, going after the heart of the child and and what we needed. This is going to be a little bit more drilling down to what does it mean the heart and ultimately the heart um can be found in the conscience i mean that that's the most innermost and so i'm going to give i'm going to give this which is a beautiful um quote it's from Gaudium et Spes number 16 in in um in the Vatican II documents but it's quoted exactly in the catechism 1776 oh hmm. how how patriotic. Yeah. Very apropos for <laughs> so, the month of July. Yeah. So anyway, I'll just read it. It says it's this is Catechism seventeen seventy six, which would be the easiest way to find it. Deep within his conscience, man discovers a law which he has not laid upon himself, but which he must obey. Its voice ever calling him to love and to do what is good and to avoid evil, a law inscribed by God. His conscience is man's most secret core in his sanctuary. There he is alone with God, whose voice echoes in his depths. I just love that. I mean, it's kind of haunting too, but I mean, there is, there is a place inside of each one of us, and that's where we're trying to help form. We don't really know, I think, as parents, and there's no guarantee that we actually know it's possible for somebody um, because it's so, it's really God in them at that point. But, um, but that's our goal to try to help form that innermost place, that sanctuary. Mm -hmm. Um, anyway, I just think that's a, that's a beautiful one, but we're after their 
heart and their heart is ultimately going to be where they're conscious, where they hear, oh, do this, don't do that, which ultimately has to be something that they have, which is like we're, we've talked about with regard to disciplining a child and trying to raise them. You know, if, if we want them to take something out into the world separate from us and when they go off to college and we're not there to manage what they do, to correct them when they do something, then it has to come from somewhere else what's coming from this. And if we've done nothing but uh, manage the externals, like make sure that they're saying please and thank you, nothing wrong with that, but they need to understand why, that, that they tell the truth and that they're honest, that they choose not to do things that they sh- should choose not to do when maybe their friends are doing it. Those are the things that ultimately, if we've, we should be striving to get to the point where we know, well, we will never know for sure. It'll play itself out. But where we have some level of certainty that we've done all that we can for them to have a properly formed conscience so that when they go out, they will be making those decisions based on how they've been raised. So does that make sense or any comments on that? I mean, that's what we're shooting for. And like we were talking before, my kids' conscience, they're, they're, they're entering, the youngest are entering their sophomore year. I have told them that I thought in college be, in college, and the eldest are well on their way. Do we still have talks with them about things? Yes, some more than with others. Do they, I mean, I had a conversation with my daughter not, not an hour ago where she was asking about, she said, I'm a little convicted on, on some things that, on whether I'm really helping and, and concerned and not indifferent towards some of my friends who might be outside the faith or choosing to leave the faith. So she's, that conviction that she felt is that innermost being, that, that, that thing. I don't know exactly what all that means, but I know that it's something that's bothering her and she wanted to talk. So that's good. But what we're talking about here is as we raise our children, what, are, what can we do practically to try to help do enough to have them walk out of the house whenever they end up walking out and um, be able to have the tools and an understanding to um, at least be able to make the right choices or choices that are in line with what the church teaches. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. I don't know. So, and then here's another one, um, and this is from the Catechism 1778, so right after, and it does, as you had... uh, John Henry Cardinal Newman um, praying. He's he's actually mentioned asking for his prayers. He's actually mentioned in this. Mm-hmm. It says conscience. So conscience is a judgment of reason, whereby one recognizes the moral quality of a concrete act that he or she is about to perform, is in the process of performing, or has already completed. So here's the quote from uh, Saint John Henry Cardinal Newman. Uh, Conscience is a messenger of him, capital H-I-M, who by both in nature and in grace speaks to us behind the veil and teaches and rules us by his representatives. Conscience is the aboriginal vicar of Christ. Mm -hmm. There's a lot there. Um, The one I think that a lot of people don't often think of and it does speak directly to what we're talking about here, is that, that it's um, messenger of, of God who both in nature and grace speaks to us behind the veil, so deep within the child, but also teaches and rules us by his representatives. And so his representatives would certainly be priests and, and the hierarchy of the church, but I think also here, and most apropos to this show is you are his representatives, parents. You're, you're the ones that, who are meant to teach and rule them um, towards this understanding of, I have to make decisions. I have to know. And so that, and so that means like Stephanie used to always tell the kids, when you hear that voice and you know it's not your own and it's telling you to not do something or I need to do this, listen to that voice because it is not your own. 
<laughs> so, and if there's any question about whether it's the right thing, then you go to his representatives. You go to a priest or you go to to spiritual director or, or for children, you hope you could, they go to the parents as representatives. But you have to teach your children. I do believe that sometimes they're going to know something like way deep down inside them that runs counter to maybe what they're wanting to do that's saying, don't do that. That you have to teach them that there you need to be listening for that yeah. and, and expect that. And when you hear it, recognize it and then respond appropriately. Yeah, I found this quote from Newman. He says in another place in the self-wise inquirer, he gives an explanation of what conscience is. He says, quote, I mean our certainty that there is a right and a wrong, that some things ought to be done and other things not done, that we have duties, the neglect of which brings remorse, and further, that God is good, wise, powerful, and righteous, and that we should try to obey him. But there that's, you go. That's, the, that's, that's what he's talking about when he talks about conscience. And he wrote in, in other places, I was doing some, some quick homework on this before the show, um, when he was writing in the 19th century, the intellectuals of his day felt that man was moving away from this older understanding of conscious conscience that was this idea of um, human beings just being conditioned by their circumstances and really having no free will at all, just right. everything being pre predetermined by the primitive impulses and the circumstances that you were in. And they were moving towards really what a lot of people think of as conscience today, which is just the absolute self rule right. that every single person can think, speak, do whatever they want without any account to God or, or anyone else. That, that, that's what obeying your conscience means. And, and Newman is talking about a much more discreet definition of, of conscience. And so is the church and the church. And, and that's, that's part of how we have to raise our children. And that's why I think Stephanie would always tell them, listen to that voice, that still small voice that's whispering, do this, don't do that, run towards this, run away from that, that those voices and to, to get them attuned because there's somebody else involved. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's not just you and your mind, and it's not just the circumstances you find yourself in. There is, there, there is something that is required of us in certain circumstances. I mean, I don't think that it's required by our conscience whether to, to choose correctly between you know, peas and carrots. <laughs> but, but there are certain situations where we need to know, okay, there's a right and a wrong here. Not every question is that dichotomy. There's lots of room in certain places. Right. But there are certain things that we have to teach our children that when you hear that voice, that you don't know where it's coming from, but it's somehow deep within, recognize that and listen. And at a, at a minimum, stop and slow down before you do whatever you're thinking about doing. I mean, at a minimum, stop and slow down and go ask somebody, go pray, do whatever. But you've got to, you can teach them that. Because even at a young age, I can remember, I mean, they, they experience guilt. They know at some point when they've done something wrong, even if you haven't caught them doing it, there's something inside them that's, and typically it's something they wanted to do. Mm -hmm. And they knew after they did it, uh, that wasn't the right thing to do. I mean, have you ever caught, have you ever seen well, a child? I mean, we, had an, we had an incident uh, just yesterday in the family where one of the, one of the, one of the children um, took it upon himself to get a sharp instrument from a drawer in the kitchen so that he could scrape off some of the decals on some of his Legos because he was customizing them. <laughs> and I found out about this because one of the smaller children was walking around with one of these sharp instruments after it had been just left out on the Lego table by the older sibling. So I, in talking through why we ask permission for to use things like that, and we 
try to get, we try, is that we want to give you guidance. It's not, it's not always necessarily that we're going to say yes or no, but we want to know what you're thinking about doing. And we want you to talk with us about it so that sometimes we can improve those ideas that you might have and we can give you some, some guidance. So I, you know, I explained that if you had come and asked me, couldn't, can I use the knife to scrape the decal paint off of my Legos? I would have said, well, no, you can't do that, but let me go out and get some sandpaper for you from my shop and you can use the sandpaper because then we don't have to worry about you slicing your finger off. Right. And, and that's, and that's teaching and so slow, slow down and let us help you learn how to, how and when to slow down and. And the great guidance. thing about that example for, for, for you, for you, from my perspective is, so he, he did something. If you just got on him for having taken the knife, but didn't have that interaction that says, now, why were you, why were you doing that? And this is, and then coaching them to coaching him to say, now this is how you could have handled it, and this is how I would have responded, and everything would have been fine. But I think a lot of people, and I've done this before, catch somebody doing something they shouldn't be doing, and don't have that conversation. Oh, me included. It's plenty of times it's just explode. Right, you explode, and then you get on it. You don't, and and it, and so if you. If you listen to the child, as you did, you become aware that what you think they might have been thinking was not what they were thinking. Right. I mean, and and that it was actually somewhat understandable what, what he was trying to do and why he was trying to do it. And then, in fact, there was nothing wrong with what his end he was shooting for. It was the means and that you were talking to him about how to handle the means in the future. And if you handle it that way, then he'll more likely come back the next time and say, hey, I wonder if this is okay. And that's what you're trying to get at with, with, with your children. You're, you're trying to get where you get them to think through. You help, you, you help them by your, hopefully, characterization of most of the time not blowing up when they do something wrong and trying to understand them so that when so they can say, well, I can just explain this. You know, you want as they get older for them to say, "This is what I'm thinking." That's what you want before I do it, and this is why I want to do it. You got any thoughts, Dad? You got any thoughts, Mom? That's the culture you want to build to get to their heart, because ultimately, to be there, they can block you off pretty quickly if they think I'm not telling. I mean, I, you know, I'll take my risk of getting caught because if I get caught, I'm in trouble. Mm-hmm. Um, and if I tell them I'm in trouble, so so I'll just take a risk that maybe I won't get caught. And right. you don't want that. You want that nagging thing that may be going on inside of them to say, you know what, I'll go talk to dad. I'll go talk to mom about this because I know they might be upset, but they're going to, they'll listen to me and respond appropriately. And I know they're looking out for me. So anyway. That's a great. That's a great example. Well, thank that. you. So, but um, grace the moment. Great. Uh, they're all. Not I mean, how they're it, all not how usually. Not a lot. No, of no. I mean, there's lots of time. Way. I I know. I I mean, it happens all the time. And so, what we're trying to do is increase the number of those type of interactions <laughs> right. and right. decrease the others by the grace that comes from the sacrament of marriage and from everything else um, that God gives us in a, in a way that does that. And and again, it's meant to communicate. To our children, and this is why it's so important. It's we're meant to, by the way we deal with things, communicate to them in in a fallen way, <laughs> to the best of our ability, the way God responds to a mistake or a bad choice. Because the kind of built into this mystery of parenthood is God in his immense humility (laughs) says, I'm going to let these parents be assigned to these children of who I am. And thank God, God is God. He can overcome our failings, but we get to participate with him in that. And that's the way we want our children to think about that. So when I, when I sin, when I do something I shouldn't do, what, what should I do? Run 
to dad? What should I do? Run to the father. How do I do that? Through the sacrament of reconciliation and penance, right? I mean, and that is fostered by how things are handled in the family because they're going to tie those two things together. It's kind of built innately into them. This is the way a father is. And if, if you as a father are always overbearing, never listen, always quick to judge, and, you know, we all have moments like that, so I'm not, me, me included. So I'm not, this is not a, but you want to try to move yourself and pray for the grace to be able to get there because ultimately we want them to know God for who he really is, and he's a merciful God. He's a God that does listen. He's a God that understands that we make bad choices even when we know that, but that we can always run back to him for forgiveness. So anyway. Um, yeah, and can we go back to that quote from from Newman? We can. That I gave you. Um, I think there's a, there's a way to uh, also point out the truth of what St. John Henry Newman is saying there that, you know, the conscience is this understanding that good should be done and evil should be avoided and that we have duties and we should be to the, so, et cetera, et cetera, that even the proponents of the new morality that we are living in the, in the midst of, um, if you, if you pinned them down or you, you looked at their program, you would be able to point out that for all the talk of say relativism, that there is no truth or no objective truth or that, uh, people should do what they feel. Right. Well, those are, those are truth statements and they're statements about what's good and what's bad. And that there are certain things that are held even under this new program, always and everywhere to either be, you know, good and laudable or bad and despicable. Right. 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 And so that's an, that is itself evidence that, that what, that what Newman is talking about as conscience is innate to our humanity. It's a part of who we are as human beings. And it's, it's a part of our, you know, the fact that we're made in the image and likeness of God. Now, one, one example is a, is a twisted or deformed or deficient or poorly formed conscience, but it's nevertheless evidence of conscience being um, ingrained in human, human beings. Does that make sense? I think it does. It's there. I think it extends and maybe flows from what you're saying. And maybe it's part of what you were already saying that, we have to understand that we're we are called that that is a gift that conscience is a gift to us as individuals that really it's God in us that has the ability to form that and, and parents have the responsibility to do their best to help form it but ultimately it becomes their own yeah and just because of outward actions we don't know for a fact that what's causing them to do or not do is actually a well-formed conscience. It right. could be embarrassment. It could. There's lots of other things. So we have to pray for that. But it, it's a gift to us, and we, through the entirety of our lives, especially as we become adults, are are we are called upon to form our conscience as well, not to just accept where our consciences are, which again points to there's something external <laughs> to which we have to conform, right? which is different than a, than a relativistic sense, that there's some good, true, and beautiful things that, you know, that, that are outside of us that we have to conform ourselves to and conform our conscience to. We can have a badly formed conscience, which could, which could be the reason for lots of things, but at some point, because it's a gift to us individually, we are ultimately responsible for making sure that conscience is formed in truth, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, and, and that's, that's an important thing for our kids to understand as well. That's certainly not something you talk to a two-year-old other than this is right, that's wrong, and you do that enough times, it's pitching pennies into the, the, uh, the box or whatever like I've talked about that, that builds up over time, but teaching them 
those type of things, talking to them. So don't just punish. Always don't just, I mean, sometimes punishment or some sort of consequence is necessary. Facts. But don't just leave it at that. Help them understand by explaining what is going on, what they did wrong, how they might have handled, even model how, how they might have handled it better in a different circumstance, but you're helping that to be done. I love this. The other thing is, is, that, is from a Christian perspective, there are things that, that are outside of us that we ought to do, right? I mean, there are things that by our duty, by our place, in the family, at our jobs, whatever, that, that we are required to. There are things that we ought to do that we may or may not want to do. And, and I love, uh, I have this quote from, from John Paul II, which I made mention of last week, but it's with regard to freedom, because okay. as you mentioned, as you mentioned, the, the, the other ones, there's some sense in, in other ways of thinking about this, that, that free will is taken out of the equation. That's just the way you are. Right. 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 You're, so there's, you don't really have any re- responsibility to, change it, to form it, to, to do that, just be who you are. Mm-hmm. That's, contra- that's counter to what we as Christians believe. There is something that ought to be done. And this, this quote basically is, is that John Paul is saying that freedom, in, as a definition, is to be doing what you wish when you're doing what you ought. Mm. Say that again? You, if freedom is doing what you wish, true freedom— when you're doing what you ought, what you must. So mm. that lining up of I'm doing what, so it requires that I know what I ought to do and then embrace, say yes to the ought. Say yes to I must do that. And, and I know that I must do it, and so I'm doing it. And I know why I'm doing it, so I'm doing it because of that. And therefore, even if it's hard, even if it's something that's not easy, I still am doing it, and I'm glad that I'm doing it for that for that sake. But I remember so often my father growing up, you know, he would give me uh, there would be some chore that I have to do, and I might kind of sulk when I go off to do it, and you know, he would call me back, and somewhere in there would be, I want you to do it joyfully, right? Do it joyfully, and so you know. For a long of this time, I thought it was okay. Uh, it's this fake it till you make it kind of an attitude. Right. <laughs> so I just gotta act like I need that I'm happy doing it. And I, over time, you know, I came to realize that no, that's not. He was using joyful joy for a particular reason that he wouldn't say do it happily. He was saying do it joyfully because he wanted me to come to see that my my good or my ultimate good was was being carried out by me participating in this this thing that he wanted me to do right. to to help him or to help the family that I was doing it out of out of love and right care and exactly. regard for him and, and that, for my mom and I think that I think that's again those I was are putting things myself at service you know like exactly trying to get those those understandings to to sprout in my heart. Absolutely. And that, and to teach, and to teach children what, what a lot of grown men and I guess women too don't know today, which is the duties that we have that are the, the natural, the, the things that we ought to be doing are actually markers for what the will of God is. Mm-hmm. And that doing that is to love him and to love those who you serve and therefore, happiness is found in that. The lie of today is, if I can't envision this as being something that causes my happiness, if, if it's going to cause me some sort of misery where I'm the center of the universe, don't do it. I'm not going to do it. So I'm not going to figure out how to stay uh, with this person who's the mother of my child, I'm going to figure out, I'm going to bail on this job because I just don't like it. You know, even though family's depending on it, it doesn't mean you don't make those decisions. It just means you don't haphazardly say, well, I'm not happy in it. 
therefore I'm out. Yeah. And, and let me then twist my, kind of turn my understanding of, of that one more time, which is then I came to also understand that actually, in a way, it is a fake it till you make it kind of proposition too, and which is very, there's a Catholic way yes. to this. And let me explain, yeah. which is we make our bodies do things and by making our bodies do things or not do things that does impact our our heart it does shape and form our no. our attitudes and our understandings of things you know that's a so that's a very that's that incarnational, incarnational thing that right. that's why that's why it's important at the mass to understand why you're kneeling exactly, exactly. why you're standing and to have that taught because our body, we are a body soul composite. Right. And it's not like the body and the soul as a living being. It's this integrated matter and spirit. Right. Embodied spirit, it's spiritualized body. It's not like, you know, it's like, like we've got this little engine inside of us and, right. and, and it's directing everything. It's like it is, as a person, we are a body soul composite. Right. And therefore, we can inform ourselves and be taught. By doing things over and over again that in our mind we know to be true, but our body's saying, I don't want to do that. Right. And you make it do it. I was watching, I mean, you know, I don't know how many cowboy fans there are out there. I'm an old one. Jerry Jones is not one of my favorites. I know he's not, I know that I know that's not one. But I was watching the 93, I was watching the 93. Uh, football season, and and they were, they had mics on Jimmy Johnson, and and I heard him probably fifteen times during the show say this. He said, "The mind has to make the body do what it doesn't want to do." Mm-hmm. The the there's something very Christian about the the short of that's the will. He's talking the, about the he will. He said, "You got to will something that you don't." The, the body saying, "I can't do anymore. I can't do anymore. I can't mm-hmm. do anymore." Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you have to use so that by itself would not be Christian, but it is a proper understanding of the human person. Mm-hmm. Because a Christian, we have to will that, but then we have to trust that the grace of God is going to elevate our nature to be able to do that which we couldn't do. Mm-hmm. So there's that coupling again. We're bringing in God and God's gift into the equation, but there is something in a purely secular standpoint that says you you you. There are things that you have to make yourself do that your body's saying, I can't, I can't, I can't, I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. you can still will it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, I really, it's, it's, the, it's the Aristotelian and the Thomistic understanding of you know, us being an intellect, a will, and our passions, right? Right. And so we were talking about this with our children this summer about swimming. They were doing swimming. This was the first time for swimming lessons and swim team and how their coach had been trying to explain to them that they needed to um, try to hold their breath for longer beyond uh, what they thought that they could, you know, not, not in an unsafe way, but in a practice situation where, you know, hold it for a few seconds beyond what you, you think you can do. And we said, that is a perfect illustration of how your mind knows why it is demanding more of the body than the body thinks it can give. That's your intellect controlling your passions and harnessing the will to say, no, we are going to stay under the water for two more seconds because by doing that, we're going to increase the lung capacity body. Right. And that's going to be better for us. Which is going to make, which is going to make us be better, be better swimmers. swimmers. And ultimately like in the long run, passions, and that's going to be better for us. That's going right. to be better for you. Exactly. And so that's another reason I, I love the whole coaching sports aspect because yes. it, the, the great coaches, whether you like them or not, I mean, the Sabins, the Jimmy Johnsons, you could go down the list of, of the people. There's so much we can learn about our faith through sports, right? right. Absolutely. And, and I, but, but it's because the great ones always will push somebody beyond – what they thought they were capable of doing. Right. And I've been as just a high school athlete, you know, I've, I think I've told this story where, where they had, they had started off, they'd gone three and seven the year before my freshman year of varsity had, 
That was the first year of the coach. Second year started off 0-3-1. And, and the one was a tie, 0-0, which I don't even know if that even happens anymore, with our rival. And and we show up and we show up at practice and the head coach goes, Listen, here's the deal. We're gonna find out who wants to play football. And you're gonna run until I tell you to stop or until you wanna quit. And and if you quit, you don't need to say anything. Just take your stuff, put it up against the fence, go in, clear out your locker, and we're done. I mean, just very matter of fact. And I can remember at the beginning saying, okay, I can't quit. I mean, I'm not going to. Well, I mean, there are plenty of times when I was like, I, I'm going to die <laughs> out here. Nobody. I mean, we did things that we did things for so long that we had never done before. In the scope of the fact that he had said, your, your option is either to finish as much as I ask of you or to quit. And nobody quit. Now, there was vomit everywhere. <laughs> it was brutal. Well, that team went on from that day forward and won 10 games in a row and, and ended up playing for the state championship. The last loss was against, the, against Temple High School um, in the finals, who was a lot better than us. But we beat teams that we wouldn't because I think, and it's just like for us, the more we are challenged and, and, and push ourselves beyond what our passions say, oh, stop here. I mean, quit. don't go any further. Within reason. The, the more we do that, the, the, the more likely we are to do better the next time in whatever we're doing. And it, and it, and it transcends just that moment, too, because there's a mentality that says, I can do more mm-hmm. with God's help, and with with my mind pushing me beyond what my body says you do, I, I need to do that. By the way, but anyway, <laughs> um, but the bottom line is, I think that that connection is understanding um, the importance of of knowing that our we have, with the help of God's grace, and if we know what is true, good, and beautiful, to say I can go further. I can not quit. I can push through. And again, at the center of a Christian thing is the cross. And I've always kept this because I had somebody always say this. For every Good Friday, there is always an Easter Sunday for a Christian. Mm-hmm. You don't always know when the Easter Sunday is going, but no matter what that pain is saying, no matter what you want to quit, you don't want to, you know, that you push through that, there will, as long as you don't quit, there will be an Easter Sunday, mm-hmm. a day where you can look back on it and go, God's grace got me through it, and me saying, not saying I quit. Yeah, and I think this gets back to conscience in that it, there it is possible to do that which we know we ought to do, even though it appears or feels like we can't, we can't do it. Right. We can train ourselves to do what we ought to do. And even more than athletics, we have a secret weapon, which is the grace of the sacrament. So we have God's grace giving us extra power so to speak right. to to do the right thing now it may not it may not happen immediately it may take fits and starts but it is possible to get yourself on that road to christian holiness and achieve feats of holiness in your personal life that i mean i'm standing here saying that as a living proof of that absolutely that and you can achieve things of personal levels of personal holiness that you didn't think you were capable of because God, because God's grace is certainly an unmerited gift mm-hmm. but from a Christian perspective God's grace actually elevates our nature that's right it it works with our nature by our cooperation with it that by ourselves we could not do I mean the fact that we have three triplets that are now 20 and Stephanie and I are still married 
<laughs> and there's no broken bones or anything that happened as a result of me falling asleep or whatever is 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 yeah, is it, let, is it let's be clear that we're not talking about it's amazing that Trey is still married to Stephanie it's amazing that Stephanie's still married Which, to Trey absolutely. that's what you was really well, trying I, to well, say well that's you know always the truth but what I'm but but what I'm saying is you can look back at things by saying you know and I think we I've talked about this before but it gets back to it where, where Stephanie said we can't handle this yeah and I and and my response is well God doesn't give us something we can't handle. And her response was, well, then we're not handling it. And I think that's where the intersection of a true Christian is, is the faith that God will provide us the grace to deal with the situation that lies in front of us in the way that he's revealed it should be dealt with. He'll do that. But we have to do our part. It's not magic. It's the combination of, yes, Lord, I'll do what you want me to do, trust that you'll help me do it, but I have to do some things. Mm-hmm. And I think this is, we've all, we're also hitting on maybe an aspect of the formation of conscience that often gets overlooked. Well, I think usually you hear conversations about you must have a well-formed conscience, forming consciences as a, that it's an intellectual exercise. And it is, it is very much an intellectual Sure it is. Act. There's part of it. Yes. You have to, you have to know the, you have to know the truth so that you can do the good is sort of a shorthand. But what we're talking about also is it's also part of forming conscience in that you have to put in the work to try doing the right thing. Right. Pra- practicing doing the right thing. Even if there are, even if you stumble, you fail, you kind of, you miss the mark, you, that's why you have confession. You go, you go back around, you get more grace, right? And you try again, and you you stay, you stay on it, right? No, absolutely. And I think, and I think that that again, teaching your children that it it's a it's a journey. It's not a moment, mm-hmm. and that that we can't always push ourselves beyond what we think. And that's why it's good to have somebody to be accountable with, you know, a priest, certainly a spiritual director, good friends who'll, who will help you pass that. And, and, and then recognizing that if that's what I'm supposed to do, no matter how much of a struggle it is, I trust that God's going to give it, give me the grace to do it. And I just need to go with that faith and say, I'm moving forward. I'm going to do it. I ain't, I'm not quitting. As, as much as everything around me and all the circumstances are pointing to me to say, you're never going to get there. You can't do that. It's not possible. There's something about that journey that shapes one's character to be striving to do what is right in the midst of failing, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. which always reminds us that we're in need of God. So that's all part of it. So real quickly, there were a few other ones, a few other things I was that I thought, uh, one, you know, we must sufficiently pre- be present to ourselves in order to hear the, f- the f- and follow our, the voice of conscience. So be aware of that. We must be people of reflection, self-examination, which is part of that daily examine and introspection. St. Augustine puts it this way, and this is quoted from 1779 of the, of the uh, catechism. Return to your conscience. Question it. Turn inward, brothers and sisters, and in everything you do, see God as your witness. Because ultimately, that's, that's why we're doing things. That's where integrity and character comes from, is recognizing that while other people might not see what's going on, God sees everything, and he is our witness. And he loves us. He's not there to judge us. He's here to say, get beyond that. Press forward. I'm here to help you, is what we do. Um, so we must inform our conscience uh, with truth about the moral good of any concrete act. Everyone must avail himself of the means to form his conscience. So we're required to form our conscience in line with what is the truth as revealed about what we should do in any concrete concrete act. Um, let's see. We must examine our conscience before the Lord's cross. In doing this, we are assisted by the gifts of the Holy Spirit aided by the witness or advice of others and guided by the authoritative teaching of the church, which is 
that's Catechism 1785. So anyway, um, that's what we have to teach our children. There's, there is right and wrong. Right and wrong is not a matter of opinion in some cases. <laughs> and there are certainly things that are right or wrong objectively no matter what. And that's where we have to help them understand that. So ultimately, the two things we need are the things that were given to us by, by Jesus Christ and John 1.14. Truth and grace came through Jesus Christ. We need truth. In order to know what to do or not to do, where do we find that truth revealed in the person of Christ, in and through his church, and in and through scripture? And then we have to have the grace, which provides us the strength to do or to not do that which we're called to. So there's an objective measure that says this is what ought to happen here. And then there's the supernatural thing that says, okay, I'm going to will that. I'm going to say that's what I want to do, and then God's going to do it. And we have to teach our children that that's the way the real world is, not what we're hearing today. It's not a matter of opinion on many things. And God is there to help them. So we need truth and we need grace. Where do we find truth? Where do we find grace? In and through Christ himself, in and through his church, and certainly in the sacraments. Gosh. (laughs) And that was my fault, uh, not Dennis's. And then, you know, we have we have truth, we have knowledge of the good, we have God's grace, which is propelling us towards the good. And then when we practice the good, and we practice the good over and over and over and over and over, and we habituate ourselves to it, then we have virtue. That's what virtue is. I mean, virtue is that doing something over and over and over again. It's also part of virtue to when you stumble, pick yourself up, do not despair, call right. a spade a spade, go to confession, go to, go to God, go, go to yourself and say, that was wrong, but I ain't quitting. I'm getting back up and I'm going to continue on the path. The great thing about a daily exam is the next day's a new day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the next day's a new day. So there are some things that always apply in this formation, and these are good things to do, To and we'll kind of wrap it up with these. This is from 1789, the Catechism, and you, I think everybody will recognize these. This is from the Catechism. Always applies. One may never do evil, so the good may result from it, is one. Second, whatever you wish that men would do for you, do to them. Do also to them, which is what the golden rule, right? We should be teaching. These are things we could tell. We don't do something bad in order that a good might come. Right. And the second, and the second thing is, you know, whatever you want done to you, do that for somebody else. Do it for other people. And that, and then the last one is from Romans fourteen twenty one. It is right not to do anything that makes your brother stumble. So we do have a responsibility. Even as St. Paul says, even if you have or listed in doing it, he talks about that. You do look at your brother, and even you say, I can do this, or my conscience is good with it, and God is okay with it, but it might cause somebody else to misinterpret that and then do something that's against their conscience. And that St. Paul talks about that, mm. I mean, about eating eating the... Well, you could eat the these meat because an idol is nothing. But if you do it in front of somebody who's just come from that, then they may think, oh, he's doing something wrong. When, in fact, he's saying, I'm not doing anything wrong. But they may be thinking that, and they may do it thinking it's wrong because yep. he said it's okay. Yep. And so there's things in life that we have to recognize that we have to look sometimes at what the impact of me. That's the whole thing about being a role model, right? Sometimes there are things you can do that you shouldn't do because there are people watching. That's right. It's great within a family, that older sibling. You, you, there are things that you may have to teach them that that's going to cause your younger brother or your younger sister to, be to go brother. back to the the knife example. That also is something that we said was, you know, you don't you don't use a knife like that because it's a dangerous object, and then it 
communicates to your younger siblings that, oh, I guess we just, you know, use exactly. knives for whatever we want. Right. Or or that's a good tool and a good way to handle yeah. removing something that, oh, I, that's cool. that I want. Yeah. I mean, I guess it's, I guess it's okay. My mm-hmm. older brother did it. Well, yeah. you know, th- those are the type of things that we do. But those three things you could apply today. You can't do something bad in order for something good to happen. Do what you, whatever you want done to you, do that for somebody else. And that make sure that whatever you do, you don't do that which will make somebody else stumble. Mm-hmm. And those are three principles that you could put in right now. So anyway, hopefully this was helpful. I think Thaddeus had some great examples, and um, I'm always humbled when he's when he's around. Um, Thank you, Trey. But nice uh, but anyway, and that's not I'm not just blowing smoke. So um, anyway, I think that. Um, there were a few other things, but we're, we won't do it. But look at the, you know, I've always talked, train up a child in the way he should go, which is, I, we've checked this a bunch of times, Proverbs 22, verse 6, train up a child in the way he should go. And the way he should go is that training, and that training is touching their conscience, is to help them know this is what I should do. This is what I shouldn't do. This is how I figure this out. That will help them because we want them to go out into the world and make good choices um, with a properly formed conscience and that they must always, you know, learn to look inward. By the way, confession, go to confession. (laughs) Bring your kids to confession. That's really important. Amen. God bless you guys. Um, Remember to pray for us. Um, We certainly will be praying for you. Um, And memory verse would would be Proverbs 22, 6, I think. Train up a child in the way he should go, and in his old age, (laughs) he will do it. Um, That's catechism version. Anyway, God bless you guys. Remember, pray, parent with a purpose, and prepare for God to amaze you. Promise he will. God bless you guys. Pray for us. We'll be praying for you. Bye.